Are you recording? Uh, I've been recording the whole time. This is all comic gold, <laughs> baby. Excellent. Well, you know, fun fact. I learned that from your script. <laughs> <laughs> the script that you never read? I read it. That's how I know. I, okay. I was especially proud of my cabbage thing because it was a callback to your first appearance on Modern Minorities. So, you know, you just threw away my callback. Oh, that's what that was. I forgot I told you about the lion dance and the cabbage situation. <sighs> such a good joke i'm sorry anyway. getting slapped with a cane is much more is is, is much more salient that's to sing, me that, that no that's singapore that's not china yeah tell that to my parents <laughs> i believe the children are future teach them all and let them lead the way show them all the beauty they possess inside give them a sense Ryan, I think we have to go back to China. Ah, come on, Roman. It's been two weeks of Chinese comics. We got Boxers and Saints. We had Night Bus. Yeah, but I think we forgot something really, really important. Well, what? A blanket made from the skin of a panda? Virgin Boy Eggs? A bootleg copy of Shang-Chi? Well, no, although I do love me some Tony Leong. Ryan... We got to talk about the children. Well, slap my ass with a cane because I got bad grades. I guess we are, in fact, going back to China. I'm Roman Segel. And I'm Ryan Joe. And we are two guys who believe the children are the future. I, I actually don't. I don't. But I put up with them. <laughs> I actually set you up with lyrics from a really classic song, but whatever. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, 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 I sang in the last episode. Well, that's my goal, to get you to sing in every episode. That's fantastic. <laughs> so this week, we are making one final trip back to the Middle Kingdom, and not just for the Olympics. Is it because we left our grandma there? <laughs> also because I don't have a Peacock subscription that you can borrow. <laughs> so after two weeks in China, uh, I really want to return for something a little more kid-friendly, namely two kids' comics I discovered for my half-Chinese daughter last year. My Beijing, Four Stories of Everyday Wonder by Ni Jun, and Little White Duck, A Childhood in China by Na Lu and her husband, Andreas Vera Martinez. Both books weave tales of a childhood in China, one idyllic and magical, and one full of an innocently lived yet harsh reality. My Beijing tells four stories from the Hutongs, or interior neighborhoods of urban Beijing, in mostly the modern day, with a little bit of time travel thrown in for good measure, following the adventures of a little girl and her grandpa holding onto idyllic memories of how it once was. And then Little White Duck is a series of autobiographical recollections of the writer's childhood growing up in Wuhan during the late 1970s as China found itself in transition, slowly opening up, especially after Mao's passing. Ryan, uh, these books really captured a lot of feelings of China that was both familiar and eye-opening. What were your overall impressions? Um, so <laughs> my Beijing, I kind of was very conscientious of the fact that I was reading a bookman for kids. So that was... It just, it was, you know, sometimes I guess children's literature can transcend their origins and kind of put you into this sort of magical environment. Oh, I, I'm afraid of where you're going with that. No, <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, uh, my Beijing, it was cute, right? But I was reading it and I'm like, I'm not the target for this. You know, this is something that, you know, I would, <laughs> might read to a kid, but I'm not going to sit down and just like pick this thing up and read it on my own unless Roman you know, decides for some reason that he wants to read it for Quarantine Comics. And then, of course, I will because I'm a good sport. I'll even sing in some of the introductions. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of my Beijing or my, my feelings of my Beijing. <laughs> like you made me read a children's book. 
So Can't, wait, right. do you not do you not appreciate like Disney animated features or Pixar movies like because you don't this have kids. This is this is this, is this is this is neither. This I would I would say this is not this is it's cute. Uh, Pixar movies kind of transcend though. I mean they appeal to both kids and and adults, right? They deal with adult situations that kids might not understand, but adults watching the show, the movie would understand. Disney animation, of course, there is something often transcendent about Disney animation. There are emotions that kids might not fully grasp. They appeal to both. Again, also, they're just riveting to watch from just a technical perspective. Like the animation just takes you to places that you wouldn't ordinarily even imagine. This is not the case. And you really, and you really didn't, you didn't really get any of those vibes from my Beijing. I mean, it has fantasy elements. Yeah, sure. But uh, no, I didn't. In short. Wow. You were dead inside, my friend. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I get it. Okay. You know what I think part of it was, though? He kind of kept playing the same trick over again. It's sort of like, oh, actually, she's going back in time. Grandma is there. (laughs) It's like, okay, that's cool. You know, it's, again, there's that trick where, okay, there's that episode. To be fair, to be fair, time time travel only happens twice of the four stories. Oh, so 50% of the time. Okay. Okay. Uh Swimming in a dream is the first chapter about the little handicapped girl who, you know, dreams of being able to swim like a non-handicapped girl. And honestly, the fourth story had no magical elements to it. So, you know, it was about an old cranky man, kind of like someone I know. Yeah, yeah, you know, live your dream or something like that at the end, right? Um, Look, the watercolors were pretty, and again, the narrative was neat at the end. Okay, the boy she's playing with was actually her grandfather as a young boy, and he was dreaming that moment. Um, You know, she meets kind of like her grandmother. It's Look, again, it's sort of the same trick, and it's cute i i don't have anything really against it i just was very conscientious of this sort of being you know this is sort of like a story that kind of revolves around that narrative gimmick so but i mean again i shouldn't really critique this in the sense of like it being a work that's meant to be really kind of unpacked it's a delightful story for kids uh i'm not a kid sometimes these stories kind of transcend that I didn't feel these did. What did you like about it? I'm just curious. What do you, so because you obviously yeah. this the, this appealed to you in a way that it didn't appeal to me. So what am I what am I missing? I mean, a heart, a soul, but uh, no, uh, you know, I actually to interrogate myself. I do wonder if I have an intrinsic bias for these stories. Um, I discovered this book on some random list when I was looking for you know always looking to discover comic books for my daughter. Right. So I can introduce her to the medium and art and a love of reading and story. And every book I get, I read it first before I read it to her. Occasionally, I'll read it with her for the first time. But with this one, I wasn't sure. Um, obviously, the the art is beautiful. The, the art itself felt very transcendent, something, you know, uh, simple line work. Uh, mastery of kind of cartoony storytelling, but similar to a lot of the Japanese comics we've been reading, not a lot of panels, right? Not a heavy sequential art, not a lot of action, but there's clearly kind of motion being felt, but the the watercolors on top of it gave it that beautiful kind of wondrous feeling to it. And the gimmick, as you say, the magical realism that appears, you know, the first story, it uh, all four stories revolve around a little handicapped girl and her grandpa living in the hutongs so first and foremost the the two character relationship felt very strong felt very authentic felt very warm 
the context of the hutongs, it wasn't explicitly hitting you over the head with this is China. This is what it's like in China. But the little beats and the little moments that they showed were very different from the American suburban experience. So just that in itself, the setting and the table dressing of it, like felt really nice. But then you do add in to your point, the, the, the kind of magical realism, this girl who wants to swim and the lengths that her grandfather goes to make her swim. And is she actually flying in the sky at the end? That feeling of swimming and flying are the same thing. It felt transcendent. The time travel stuff. I actually didn't like the one with the uh, the bug thing as much where she meets her grandpa, but I really liked the mailbox one. Um, I don't know if that came before the notebook. <laughs> I, there's a bit of a time loop with the stamp. If you look at it, like where does the stamp originate, right? It's a, it's a paradox. So I guess it felt very unique for the kids medium to be approaching time paradoxes, fantastical elements and just introducing them in a kind of a very Chinese suburban setting. So I don't know, man. I, well, you know, maybe, 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 you, I'm soft. maybe I'm soft. No, I think I think well, we're coming. Yeah, I think we're coming at it from different angles, right? So you've read a lot of kids comics, you read to your daughter. So you're probably very used to a lot of kids stories. And you're probably very aware of some of the cliches. And I can see how this one is different. Um, so you're kind of approaching it from from that perspective. For me, yeah, this is perfectly fine. It's harmless. It's charming. The art is good. The story does have this time paradox, but at fundamentally, I'm still sitting here wondering why I'm reading this. You know, so <laughs> so uh, something. Yeah, it's fair. That's fair. Yeah, so I can't dispute its quality. I can't say this is a bad book and I don't recommend it. But for me personally, I'm not at the place where this is the sort of thing that's going to resonate with me. Hmm. That, that's fair. That's fair. So it's almost like, would you recommend this to someone? It's almost like, well, maybe a friend who's a parent, right? Yeah, like, uh, right. Like, if you have a kid, this is probably a fine book to read. I'd, I'd recommend this in the same way I'd recommend, like, Where the Wild Things Are, right? It's a mm -hmm. different type of kid's book. Would I myself pick up Where the Wild Things Are and read it, you know, well, I mean, I probably I might just, but because it's kind of the nostalgia kick and the Marie Sendak art, which is just so unusual, but... You know, in general, it's a book for kids, and I think it's wonderful at that level, but it's not a book that, you know, would I recommend it to one of my adult friends who is just looking for a really cool story to read? No. Well, let, let me actually ask you uh, the question a different way. The reason, you know, we originally we had these two books on the slate, and we'll talk about Little White Duck in a few minutes, <clears> but like... And we said, ah, you know, we're reading too many China books. And then we read Night Bus, and it took us to like a lot of weird places of China. And it helped us kind of understand the context of the culture a little bit better. Those things that didn't fit or settle as well for us. And yeah. that's why, and the stories were a little weirder, right? Where these are more innocent stories uh, this week. But the, I guess the question is, did you discover anything about China in these books that you might not have known otherwise? Uh, specifically in it's specifically in my Beijing. So no, but Little White Duck, I kind of I, I I actually really <laughs> like Little White Duck, um, and I know even that's I guess geared more for a younger audience. But there's really kind of an interesting specificity in mm -hmm. what the girl is going through in her interactions, and maybe that's what it is, right? Like my Beijing at the core is this interaction between the the, the granddaughter and you her are grandpa. her grandpa, yeah. And there's yeah. a few other, and you know, of course, there's a cranky old man at the end, but they're kind of like simplistic interactions and they're sweet, but they're not that interesting beyond, oh, there's just love between the two. 
but you didn't feel transport. You didn't feel trans. You didn't feel um, the contextual elements around them. You didn't feel a little better, a little better understanding of what Hutong life was like, etc. Not really. No. I mean, okay. you know, okay. I mean, I guess there's a density of people, and yeah, everyone's kind of closely packed. But that didn't feel particularly foreign to me. It felt very neighborhoody, and there's mm. actually kind of a universality to that, which is nice. Mm. Little White Duck mm. is different, though, and there's a lot more yeah. complexity in in the relationships. There's also a lot of stuff that, as a young girl, she doesn't understand her parents' relationship and reverence to Mao, for yeah. instance. Yeah, and the girl doesn't understand it because she's a girl, but you know, as an adult, you can kind of see that she's almost kind of she's playing back these bit. memories and litigating mm-hmm. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The incident when she goes to her grandmother, um, oh man, who is just a yeah. very mean, a mean woman, and then she has wears her favorite jacket, and, and that's kind of an eye opening moment for her because she sees poverty for the first time. I don't think she ever really thought of herself as rich, but but compared to the people in her grandmother's village. She is. And then there's also this whole weird, complicated, and sort of toxic relationship with the grandmother that she mm-hmm. we don't get any clarity on because she doesn't really fully understand it. She just can pick up, this woman is mean. And it's interesting how her mood shifts from being very excited to go to see grandmother and wear her favorite coat. And how that kind of sours once she's there, not because anything like evil or hostile or really happens to her, but it's just like this really bad experience. And Mm -hmm. it's one that kind of, I wouldn't say it's like an aha moment because she's just a young girl, but it is something that resonates with her. And so like, I, I found all of that really, really interesting. I felt like with Little White Duck, you had a, a much sharper depiction of what it was like for her to grow up mm-hmm. in China at this time, at this period of tremendous transition. And that was really interesting to me. I actually wish that she had kind of strung this together into a longer memoir because mm-hmm. we get like little incidents. And, you know, maybe that's just the way her memory works, right? You, you remember certain things in the past, not necessarily how it all fits together. But for me, like Little White Duck, those moments were incredibly vivid. So I would actually recommend that book if, you know, well, because I feel like it it works for both children and adults. It's funny. Um, I said earlier, I'm always getting trying new books for my daughter. And this was one I read. And I was like, I'm not ready to read this to my daughter yet. Little White Duck. Yeah. She, you yeah. know, she's almost six. I think when she's eight, maybe nine, I'll read this one to her. But what's interesting is my Beijing, um, you know, it's a Chinese cartoonist living in China, and he's writing kind of this idealistic story. So it's almost an adult writing a child's perspective, right? That's my yeah. Beijing. Yeah. Little White Duck is a Chinese-American woman, or I should say a Chinese woman who immigrated to America, having recollections of, if you read the afterward, right, recollections of her childhood in China. And she's trying to document it for future generations because these neighborhoods are torn down. China's going through so much transition, and it's this almost like uh, indirect erasure of it. So she's literally trying to put it down on paper so you can remember. And so these are very real, very stark snapshots of her life. Yeah. Uh, Could you string this together into a historical fiction? Sure. But these are moments. These are, it's funny. There's a moment where her parents are telling her a story of how hungry they used to be. And this book is a story to her of what it was like, right? So it's just, you actually get three generations of storytelling in here. 
Yeah, it, it's actually interesting with Little White Duck also comparing that to Nightbus, right? Because both are actually really depict a China that's in huge state in a state of transition where you know in Nightbus you have the countryside being all the buildings in the countryside being kind of torn apart and condominiums and apartments that look like aliens landed are, are taking their place. And you have that sense as well in Little White Duck. It's not quite as severe. It's sort of like really kind of at the beginning of the change. But you definitely see, for instance, with Naliu's dad and where he is now, or I guess where he is when she was a child versus where he came from and Mm -hmm. how different that sort of country slash city life is. I'm actually reminded, so, uh, you know, the the titular story about the little white duck jacket, right? So her family grew up in probably lower middle class Wuhan because they had government jobs, etc. But her dad's family's from the village. They go back to visit and her mom's even like, don't wear your nice jacket with the white duck on it. She goes out and plays with the kids and all her poor cousins want to touch the duck and they like muddy and oil it up. And I'm actually reminded, it's something that's really kind of struck me to my core. When I was six, was my not my first time out of the country, but it was my first time going back to India. And I remember being, you know, upper, upper middle class kid from the States back in India, riding around in the tuk-tuk and like seeing little kids my age begging on the street around me, coming up to the tuk-tuk, holding their hands out. And those memories, don't, I don't want to say they shook me, but it really gave me a perspective on, you know, I mean, I think even... Uh, Lou mentions it in her book, like why we eat our food when we, you know, why we tell our kids to eat their food. Like it was, I didn't waste my food after I came back to the States after that trip. And knowing that I won the genetic lottery being born in America, this kind of land of milk and honey that we live in, I fundamentally believe if everyone from the Western developed world could go spend a little bit of time in the developing world at a formative age, it would change your perspective on the world dramatically. And I think that's the lesson she's trying to impart, maybe not directly, but at least for her kids. Well, it's definitely something that resonated with her at a very young age. And remember, there's that also that anecdote about the eating mud, mm-hmm, uh, finish mm-hmm. your food because, hey, you know, people used to eat mud. Eat mud. Um, and die. Know, <laughs> yeah, and die. It's, it's interesting because it feels like that part of the past, it was an aspect of her parents as they were growing up, right? And her parents were swept up in the industrialization of of China, and it, it worked out for them. They were able to provide a better life for their children. So you see this sort of like upward mobility that started even before Nali was born. And it also kind of creates this distance between her and the families who still live in the country. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, even the the style of the drawing in this book, I mean, the color tone's darker, but it's there's this like grainy and grittiness to it. Unlike, you know, my Beijing is like literally, I, I felt like I was in a dream. The beautiful, colorful, yeah. pastel watercolors. And I'm not saying Little White Duck was a nightmare. It's not. No, it's just this really stark and harsh reality is the vibe and the feel you get. Literally, even the way the lines are drawn um, and the sepia nature of the pages that they're on. It's just, this feels kind of like the dirty, dusty China that i kind of seen parts of or the dirty dusty malaysia or india that i've seen that i think a lot of americans westerners we don't understand truly yeah though though to be fair i think her husband drew this one i don't think she drew it. yeah but i think he but he captured the sentiment beautifully 
Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, the art and the writing go together incredibly well. It's also interesting, right? Because when you think of how in America, what we learn about Mao, right, and the Cultural Revolution and the transformation in China, there was a lot of death. And in this aspect, in this book, the parents actually benefited from it. So it's interesting to see that perspective. And as I kind of mentioned in the previous episode, like my grandfather, I think I think he really admired Mao. I mean, despite all of the shit that China went through, he admired that Mao united China. So the perspective of us, the Americans who are educated on it versus those who were actually impacted by it. I guess if you didn't die, you were okay. (laughs) That's fucking dark. I wish I had something more intelligent to say. But yeah, you know what? Like, I mean, you you kind of think from a Western perspective, right? It's sort of like, oh my God, you know, the Cultural Revolution was just a giant shit show, which is not untrue. It's just that the perspective here, people who benefited from that brand of communism, to a degree, you know, another book, we're not, we're not going to read it this time, um, but I, I believe I'm saving it for, you know, maybe summer break when school's out. But there's this book, We Serve the People, My Mother's Stories, and it talks about an older child's China at the the dawn of the Cultural Revolution when the kids were pulled out of school and sent to the farms and the factories to work. And to your point, it just kind of depicts the movement of people, the movement of capital, of human capital that was deemed necessary by Mao's China to move the country forward. And Little White Duck is kind of on the tail end of it. It literally picks up after Mao dies. Right, after he dies. Yeah. Um, And the other thing is, it's a very personal story, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I think to the extent that we are educated on the Cultural Revolution, it's sort of like this bird's eye perspective. And, you know, here we're just really zooming in on, not just on like a family, but on the way a little girl perceives her family reacting to everything that's happening and all of the changes that are happening. It's like a snapshot of China, of yeah. what China was like. And and it's not this one's not too far away because it's the late 70s, man. So it's not too far away from us. You know, this Nalu is not that much older than us. And so her childhood was just dramatically different from the one that you and I had in the 80s. Yeah, in America. but to your point, like it's, it's a snapshot or it's like a scrapbook, right? Where you get fragments of memory. And obviously, in a way, it's sort of another similarity to Night Bus, right? Which is also the creator's memories of growing up in China or of of his post-college life in China. Though, of course, the way he depicts it, it's almost through a dreamscape. And Nalu, she's trying to be as faithful as she can, but there's still that aspect of this is remembered. This is my memory. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the context, but this is my memory of what happened. You know what she needs? She needs the ability to time travel to meet her grandpa or send letters back to her dead grandma. Yeah, that's what exactly. would make Little White Duck even better. I guess maybe that's why I kind of had this reaction to my Beijing, right? Mm. It felt very much like a fantasy, which is fine. But I guess kind of having read Little White Duck and then having read Night Bus. Which did you read first? I'm curious. Between my Beijing and Little White Duck. I read my Beijing first. Okay, okay. And thinking about it compared to Little White Duck, and I know it's trying to do a very, you know, it's very, very different, right? My Beijing mm-hmm. is a full-on childhood fantasy. The world is full of magic sort of thing. And Little White Duck, it's, you know, there, there's actually some sort of, there are There's no magic elements. in the world. This well, is what the world is like. <laughs> no, right? I mean, but, but there's- People there's, ate mud and they died. <laughs> that is kind of, that is kind of a weird form of magic though, isn't it? I mean, that's sort of 
mythology around the mud. Like this, this very surreal. This idea of a bunch of people going to a temple, eating the mud around a temple because they're starving to death. It's both awful, grounded, you know, in in the whole. I mean, they're starving. And at the mm-hmm. same time, there's a sort of strange magical quality to it, a strange surreal quality to it. She tells a story about the lion, right? The reason you set off fireworks during Chinese New Year to ward off the, the lion. Le- the legend so it it's based on. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, it, it's bookended by this image of Nalu and her sister on this huge crane. So there's definitely this element of magic in Little White Duck. It's just not as pervasive and it's not always benign and you know maybe that that appealed to me more personally versus my beijing almost felt like this for sort of very disnified version of growing up in beijing and you're surrounded by friends and there's magic around every corner one of the things i loved in little white duck is the expressions and to her husband, who's non-Chinese, but like the expression on these children's face, like uh, I think it was around the mud dying page, like page 43, like just the look of these two little kids yeah. at their mom's story. And there's so many of those little moments in beats. So it's not quite wonder. It's not quite horror, but it's like this childhood innocence. And there's a truth. It's clear that the creators have children because those looks are are damn near perfect for what a child's reaction is to the horror and the wonder or just the blaséness of childhood. So again, as a parent, some of these things just really rang true to me in both books. So you said you're hesitant to share Little White Duck with your daughter. Why is that? It's, um, my daughter is easily scared. Um, like literally we'll have conversations. I was literally trying to explain the word, Uh, not afraid and not fear, but some synonym of one of those words this morning at breakfast, and she started to get frightened. So Mm. it's, um, as a parent, you want your child to sleep through the night, because if they don't, (laughs) you don't sleep well. So um, I think it's too soon, I guess is what I would say. Every kid is different. Um, I, I do think she needs to see the realities of the world. My daughter's almost six. My first trip to India, when I saw the things I mentioned earlier, was at the age of six. Um, be it through fiction, documentary, or real-life experiences. Um, but just to get a little real, I think I think this pandemic has stunted our children um, because it's a scary world. The first couple months of the pandemic were pretty bad um, because the whole world is changing, and even your parents are scared, and all of a sudden everyone's wearing a mask, and we're not going outside, and all of these things. Um, so as a result, if I don't have to scare her yet, I'm not going to. But these are realities of the world that I need my daughter to experience. I want her to know of the world and how it's different and how lucky she is. But at this moment, I mean, just there's there's moments in Little White Duck that are probably a little too scary to read to her. And I, I wouldn't be surprised like, if, I, if I went and looked up like the recommended reading age, I, I would imagine it's a little older versus my Beijing. Like I've read it to her. In fact, uh, instead of reading it by myself for Quarantine Comics, I went and I re- reread my Beijing with her before bed last night and tonight. So. Um, and she loves the stories. They are fantastical and whimsical, and it's a beautiful, loving relationship. You know, there are bullies in it, but uh, they're easily vanquished. You know, they're, they're yeah, more they're, innocent conflict. And when they do harm, it's sort of a cartoony sort of harm. No one is really mm-hmm. hurt permanently. And, and I think with Little White Duck, there's the sense of these moments that, that really resonate with with Nalu. And well, I mean, clearly that's the case. Otherwise, she wouldn't have written about it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So Ryan, I gotta ask. I mean, have we had enough of China? And I, because yeah. if so, I, I have another I, question. Well, I was gonna say that we need to take a trip somewhere, but what's the question? Well, what are we reading next week? I think we're gonna go to Korea, and we are gonna read Moms by Ma Youngshin. Um, I don't know anything about it other than it is about. I believe three women, three mothers in their mid fifties and all of the shit that they get up to or have to do. And joining us is the creator, Jen Wang, who you might remember as the creator of Stargazing and the Prince and the Dressmaker. She actually was uh, also an interview subject for uh, Modern Minorities, which is Roman's other podcast. And she's going to join us in our discussion of moms next week on Quarantine Comics. Looking forward to it, Roman. I love reading weird comic books with new friends that are also weirdos about comic books like us. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And I, and by the way, we didn't come up with this one. Jen recommended this book. Yeah. And we saw it and we were like, this is going to be amazing. So, interest of full uh, disclosure, this was Jen's pick. But when I saw it, I was just like, yeah, we should definitely do it. Roman, I think you felt the same way. This will be a fun one. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe. Everybody's searching for a hero People need someone to look up to 